And it's your boy Roshan Gomez. You are listening to an episode of the Ruma Roy podcast. We have a special guest in the house, uh, a returning, returning guest, also very well known in the Ruma Roy universe, Miss Samantha Ho. Hello, I'm back for the third time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing me a solid. Because this weekend was, uh, I think, I don't know what happened, but everybody seemed to have plans this weekend. So, like yes. I was telling you, I'm booked. Up to January, but this weekend, this magical weekend, like no one could come on. So you're doing me a solid by coming on. Yeah, it also happens to be the first weekend I'm free. I think in a few weekends. I think we are. I think this is meant to be, lah. Okay. I think the the stars have aligned, and we're meant to have this conversation. I think there's a young person out there who is struggling with their career, and they need some. Uh, some guidance. <laughs> they need some help. I'm not sure if I'm the right person to provide <laughs> guidance, but I can share, yes, my experience of struggling with my career yeah, very same recently. Here. Same here. Because yeah. I've been following you on social media because, I mean, we've been friends for so long and we are close, but uh, I guess we've kept in touch, especially through social media. And I think a lot of your experiences, the things that you've gone through, are, are going through, are things that I think I am going through and many others are going through those of us in the corporate sort of uh, landscape. Lah. Yep. So I don't know, where do we start? How do we start this? So, okay, how are you? How's things with you? Uh, so I recently resigned from my corporate job, Yeah. Uh, but I'm still serving my notice period. It's it's about three months. Uh, and I've been in this job for about a year and a half. It's a PR and comms sort of job and I was a journalist and I think I spoke about this too the last time I was on the podcast yeah. about how I was retrenched mm. and then and so then, every time you <laughs> every time every time you you leave a company you come on to the podcast and we have a discussion <laughs> yeah um. yeah but this this so so this is like the first time I've been in a job that is not in journalism yeah. and in media and I didn't know if I would like it and then I realized not too long into the job that I didn't really enjoy it, but I enjoyed some parts, like enough for me to want to stay and, and get confirmed as an employee of the company. Without going into too de- detail about the nature, I mean, about the details of your employer and all that, um, what were the differences between writing for, like being a journalist proper and being sort of a, a content or writer for a, a, a corporate institution? Okay, so I think like the main difference is that as a journalist, you kind of have your own voice yeah. and you are reporting based on fact. Whereas as like a corporate writer and and definitely someone in PR and comms, what you're supposed to do or, you know, the scope of your job is to make the company look and sound good. So that involves usually uh, writing speeches, writing uh, sort of statements for the CEOs or for management. And so it's not really my voice. Um, and, and a lot of it involves, you know, trying to, get a sense of what these CEOs or bosses' voices are. And it was a bit challenging because of MCO and because, you know, I'm not meeting these people in person. I don't really know what they're like except for the few Zoom meetings that I have with them. Um, yeah, But it's also making sure that I, I know and understand the company's values and what it stands for. And then, like, how that is, like, included in the whole, like, messaging and writing. Hmm. Yeah. So, what were the parts of it that you enjoyed? The cop in, I mean, the corporate, uh, the the corporate uh, journey. We, what were there? What were the parts that you enjoyed? What are the parts you didn't enjoy? Uh, so I was also involved in some like 
marketing uh, writing. So mm. so stuff for flyers. Um, and, and I think I enjoyed that because because it required me to understand more about, about the topic. Um, so certain things like speech writing, uh, sort of writing uh, editorial kind of pieces, um, that was also kind of interesting. I think, and, and also working with the media because I was doing PR as well. So like sort of inviting them to our events. Uh, it does get a bit tedious because, you know, the media is like 24-7 and I have to be on my phone 24-7 to make sure that I'm, you know, replying to messages. If they need a document or they need the invite, the Zoom link or something, I have to send it to them right before the event is usually when I'm the busiest. So like the day before the event, I think there was one day I slept at maybe like 11 mm. and then a journalist messaged me at 11.30 and I missed it until the next morning. Right. So so right. then I have to like scramble to, to get stuff to them. Uh, but I think what I didn't like about corporate is mostly like, how bureaucratic it is. Yeah. So there's a lot of layers for approval and then there's a lot of like admin documents and things that we have to go through as well. If let's say we we are working with other partners and vendors, then you know you have to coordinate with those vendors, but you also have to go through the whole like process of documentation. Whereas if you're a journalist, you just write a story, send it to your editor and that's it. That you're done. You basically yeah. become a cog in the machine. Yes. Yeah. Did you feel, um, I mean, there's this perception that once you enter corporate, uh, you become, you know, like that that kind of, um, there's that um, image of your soul being sucked out of your body, right? When you go into corporate. I mean, a lot of people paint it in that way. Uh, a lot of people say that the only reason they go into corporate is for the money, right? And if they, if not for the money, they wouldn't be doing a corporate job, uh-huh. a nine to five pushing paper kind of job. They would rather be like a, I don't know, a farmer or a teacher or uh, or chasing their dreams, lah, right? But be- because of the money, they do it. Uh, maybe some people don't feel that way, but I've met a lot of people who who say that. Lah. Did you have a similar experience? Do you Did you feel like your soul was being sucked out of your body by the uh, institution? Not so much. Um, I do feel like there was a lot of like pencil pushing. You know, I'm just, I'm just there to push pencils. But I also feel like it was a combination of uh, certain tasks that I had to do because because it so happened that like our team was shorthanded or they're, they're, it's part of the role. But I do feel like there is opportunity for creativity um, in the job. But I think also, so I don't know if this is just my experience or it applies to other corporates. It's just that sometimes there's so many like day-to-day processes and, and you know, like things that are already expected of you, like business as usual is what mm. they usually call it, that you don't have time to embark on like the more like fun, creative projects that mm. you, when you come into a company and they're like, oh, you know, you, you will have an opportunity to do this and that. But then you come in and you're like, oh, I have to get, understand everything else and it turns out you don't really have time to do what you thought you were going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because basically you're working in a team and you have to service all these other different people's expectations and different people's uh, needs, I suppose. Yeah. And and those people that you are, that are sort of your stakeholders, they have their own stakeholders mm. to manage. So I think that's where it becomes, that's where I felt for me it became a bit toxic. Right. Especially when you're working in like a big kind of uh, structure, la, it becomes very bloated. Um, like I remember uh, reading this uh, article um, about Elon Musk and like one of his management 
uh, techniques was that he he didn't like uh, he always had short meetings or he likes to have short meetings and also that he doesn't like to have like a top down structure and so he doesn't like people reporting above because he gets the best people he expects uh-huh. everybody to know what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it there shouldn't be someone who needs to check your your work you get what i'm saying okay yeah so in that way you kind of like stop because when you hire a lot of people yeah. or when the company is big and especially when people come in at entry level you need someone to kind of check their work and manage them and then among that level you will need another layer to check them and make sure that the, those below them are yes. and it goes all the way up yep. until yep. you have like a board or a ceo or whatever right but yep. just these layers of uh safety protocols to make sure that the quality from bottom to top is good but if everybody was just doing their part and didn't need to be like supervised and knew what they had to do and the quality they had to, i mean it sounds a bit utopian lah i guess but i think like uh like for elon musk if he can afford it you know if he can actually pay then maybe he can actually you know yeah uh, yeah i feel like we don't get the answer to that if we ask somebody from tesla if, you know, <laughs> if that's really what the work culture is like yeah, but yeah. from what i know like uh yeah malaysian corporates are, are yeah i i guess other big corporates Asians generally are top down we yeah. societally also we have that culture right even in our family structures it's top down so what yeah. more that's why agents really like big companies and being part of big companies it feels familiar yeah you know. i feel like also it's comfortable in the sense that your roles are defined. Yeah. You're not sort of just expected to come up with new things or, or to spearhead a lot of things yourself. There's a lot of guidance. Yeah. But it's like a self-perpetuating kind of cycle where it's like your boss realizes you're expecting them to tell you to do things and then when they keep telling you to do things like and there are things that you don't like to do, then it also becomes a problem. Yeah. 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 Which I think was a bit of a problem for me right, as right. well. So what was the... What was the main reason that you that uh, pushed you to resign? What was the main factor? Ah, uh, I'm not sure if I can say it on there. <laughs> okay, then don't say. It. Then don't say. It. Don't say it, Sammy. <laughs> but do you see it's, a lot of people burning out? Uh, in my company. No, just just in general. In general, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Because like, we are about the same age. You're just two years. You're two years younger to me, right? Yes. You are. You are twenty-seven. Yes, I'm 27. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to check your IC and double confirm? No, I'm 27 this year. Yeah. Yeah. So we are about the same age. So like for me, I'm definitely seeing a lot of my peer group, a lot of people like kind of like thinking about their futures and thinking yeah. about. A lot of them are considering career shifts at this stage, lah. Yeah, it, that's interesting because I also have friends my age, or one year younger, or like a couple of years older who have been messaging me because they see my Insta stories too. <laughs> they're like, hey, I can relate <laughs> to to not liking my job or to not liking certain parts of my job and yeah. and they feel burnt out or they feel like they're just not fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like it's interesting that you brought it up because I've been working with like a career coach. Mm. And um I guess when when my friends ask me about it too, like I sort of tell them stuff I've learned from my my coaching mm. and and the program is basically called fulfillment lost to found so it, yeah. it's sort of like searching for that career or that job that can kind of give you fulfillment yeah so there's like two kinds of 
two kinds of people, right, in a way that um, leave their... Well, generally, lah, right now, I think when we're talking about this class of people who leave their jobs, they're the people who leave because they're burnt out. And then they're, they're the, the class of people who leave because they're unfulfilled. Right, I think the two different mm. groups because you could actually be good at your work and you enjoy your job, but then yeah. you're you're you have too much of work to handle, and the expectations are too high, yeah. and it's like a uh, like a negative or even hostile work environment, and then that person just leaves. This class of people, I just I don't understand employers when it comes to this class of people because generally these people are good workers. The reason why they're getting so much of work is because they are good workers. Yeah. But because of, for me, poor management, you lose like assets and you cause more trouble for, for your company. Like I had a friend who was in a, a law firm and her biggest gripe working in the law firm was there were not enough clerks because she was doing a lot of admin work, right? Yeah. And this is a firm that was doing very well. They were paying her well. They were paying everyone well. They were doing very well. They can't afford the clerk. But for some reason, they didn't get the clerk. Up to she actually resigning and two, three months later, then they got the clerk. So like, it's... And they didn't want to to let her go, you know. They tried by hook and crook to keep her from not leaving the company. Okay, when like they the, could have just employed the clerk? Yeah. When the, the first time she resigned, her employer t- tore up her resignation letter, right? So obviously, she's wow. an asset to the firm. Yeah. But then they don't want to get the clerk. It just boggles my mind. And I see this a lot. And it's like, I think for for these managers, because they came up in an environment where they sort of have to like fight or they had to do that kind of like 996 uh, mentality to come up. So they just expect that from their subordinates, uh, not knowing that not everybody has the same work ethic or same mentality. Like some people who are good, you, you just, they can't handle it. You need to be able to cater your expectations based on the different individuals, like, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, that that's something that I've been seeing a lot on social media um, mm. also because in, in the US, there's this thing called the great resignation happening where people are just quitting their jobs because they feel they don't want to come into work because of the COVID threat mm. and managers are not being, accom- like managers are just not accommodating that. Yeah. Uh, and and I think recently there was this screenshot of like a WhatsApp conversation with a Malaysian boss scolding their employee. I think they're both anonymous, but basically the boss was just saying, you know, where are you? You're supposed to be in. Mm. Uh, why isn't this settled? And this guy was on leave because he just got married. Yeah. And people are like, he's on leave, and you know, he's supposed to be enjoying his honeymoon. And and the responses of this guy in the chat group was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll do better. And the manager was just like going off on him saying, you know, you should prioritize your job if you don't prioritize your job you know why why are you even still like working and things like that yeah. and it seems like a thing that's been going on yeah. Um, yeah so so it could just be poor management the problem is I don't know how aware managers are or how willing they are to change like f- for me because I've been in a legal industry I know that a lot of uh, partners in law firms um, because they first thing is for you to go into law more often than not, you have a particular type of personality and you're not generally... Like, if you're really, really good at law, uh, more often than not, you're kind of... Again, like, just generalizing like crazy. Like, but more often than not, uh, you're not someone who might be strong with your EQ skills. right? Because our okay. course is such that those things are not necessarily encouraged. 
you know, our course is structured in the sense that, you know, you just study and, you know, you do well. It's not like, it's not like a business course, okay. right? Where yeah. you are, you, you know, like for our degree, we don't even have to do like an internship, right? We, we okay. don't have, we're not, it's not a prerequisite for you to have any social skills whatsoever. We don't have like, like for an, an for the most common type of uh, LLB program, your degree program, there are no assignments, right? At most, you have like one assignment a year at most. So you're not even forced to like work with other people, right? <laughs> yeah. You have no exposure whatsoever to working with different people, yeah. right? So when you enter a legal firm, then you're just working with one senior lawyer. Then when you finally come to that place where you're a manager and you might have to manage other people, you just, yeah. you're clueless. You don't know. All you have to go on okay. is your own personal experience. And for, for that person, he might have been able to work from like, six in the morning until <laughs> 10 30 at night from monday to sunday I, you know yeah yeah and so they kind of expect that from others as well which i just think is like crazy yeah it's different because as you were saying that i realized like i come from an industry like you know media journalism comms mm. where your job is to interact with people <laughs> and yeah. manage them yeah and and in that sense i would say like my managers have definitely tried to, to sort of, you know, ask me what I'm interested in, what I would prefer to do more of. But they acknowledge and I also acknowledge that because we're in the company we're in and the corp corporation we're in, we have to do certain things as well. Like we have to do all the other boring stuff that we don't like yeah. and, and they can't change it. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in, in that sense, I do feel like I've been lucky to have like accommodating managers or managers who have tried to accommodate me where they can. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. Like sometimes the other side of it is in the end of the day, a business is, a, 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 is in competition. Yes. With other businesses to turn a profit. Uh, and yeah. I guess realistically, they can't also be completely employee centric. Right. Like for me, what irks me is like, if you don't treat your employees well, they're going to leave. You're going to, it's going to be worse for the company anyway. That's the part yeah. I don't get, understand. Like if you could get a club and that lawyer would stay, it's good for the company because once the lawyer leaves, you're creating a problem for the company. You're going to have to hire someone again. You're going to have to train them again. So for me, that doesn't, just plain doesn't make any commercial sense. But at the same time, I understand like, let's say that lawyer was not an issue of a club, but the lawyer was underperforming. Right, and let's say the the lawyer's input reduced to like maybe forty percent for depending on whatever circumstance that lawyer is going through like in life, who knows? Maybe personally they are going through some problems. Yeah. Then it becomes a bit more tricky for the company. I understand because in the end of the day, the company is hiring you for a service, right? And if you are not, uh, if you become a liability to the company, it's difficult. There are, I think, great companies that are very progressive and they like can like take into account different factors. But I just think that in Malaysia, there are a lot of... That, that, that's not really the culture, lah, definitely. Mm. And I don't know whether it's supposed to be the culture. Does that make sense? In a way. I, but I think there's also like a distinction between like... Okay, let's say there's, there's an, an employee who's struggling with personal issues. It's a lot easier for, say, a small business mm. with like maybe like five employees and one boss to kind of try and accommodate for one person but then they might not have the resources to do it mm. because they're a small company whereas if you're a big company HR has to manage uh, so many different people and they're going to set like standardized rules yeah. right so so yeah it's going to just sort of 
not benefit some people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know, lah. It's complicated, lah. Yeah. I do feel like sometimes when you work in a company as an employee, there's a tendency to become reduced to your service, lah. So, like, I've known like lawyers who like if uh, a subordinate is underperforming, then the person is their identity is reduced to being the underperforming person. So they become either stupid or lazy or or whatever. You know, oh. but if uh, you have a someone who's very who performs very well, then they become like really really good. It almost feels like instead of saying a person is good or not, or like substituting uh, a person being a good person and a bad person, it becomes whether you're a producing person or a not producing person. Does that make sense? Yes, that's the like the new <laughs> scale of valuation. But that is sort of the very capitalist <laughs> way of valuing people yeah. as like units of labor. Yeah. And, your value depends on how much you can contribute to the economy and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, if you have two companies that are competing, I don't know, okay, we're really getting into the nitty-gritties of this, but like if you have two companies that are competing and you have one company that's really pushing its employees, right, to produce and manufacture to a high capacity, you have yeah. another company that does not work their employees to that level, one is obviously going to have an advantage over the other, right? Yeah, but then it they might only have an advantage in the short, short run right. before all those employees be like, hey, the other employees are getting a better deal. We right. should quit and join, <laughs> that join the other company. side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, which I, I guess is... It, it, what you were saying reminded me of, of something that a lot of my senior colleagues have told me in, in almost every company I've worked for, actually, yeah. or every company I've worked for, which is that the company doesn't care about you. Yeah. If you were to drop dead the next day, yeah. they will just hire somebody else. So you shouldn't like put your health or you know like yourself on the line and just see yourself as like, yeah, yeah, like you are just producing for the company because the company is gonna see you that way, but you yeah. don't have to see yourself that way. Yeah, if yeah that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So is it wrong for an employee to expect their company to be like really considerate about other things like I don't know their mental health or things that are going on in their family or? I don't know if there's a wrong or right to that. Yeah. But I feel like there's a lot more pressure for companies to care about things like that. I had a, I had a there was one firm that I was working in, in the past and the one of the lawyers, her cousin passed away, right? And let's say her cousin passed away early on a Monday morning. And so she needed emergency leave, but the partners in the firm didn't want to give the leave because she had things pending that day. And I just wonder, I, I thought it was crazy la, because your family member passed away. Yeah. You know, that's, it's pretty, you know. Yeah. If if that's not emergency leave, I don't know what is emergency leave. La. Yeah. But for them, I guess it was just that she had things to do. So she needed to get it done by hook or crook. If she wanted to take the leave, wanted to take leave the next day, it's okay. As long as the work is done, right? Yeah. yeah I think that's the problem now. Yeah, it bothers me that I feel like I've heard this story, hmm. but I definitely know you didn't tell it to me. Like, I've heard right. similar stories, like, happening so often. And, and then, like, employees are... Like, if they are desperate for a job and yeah. they need to keep the job, then they have to stay and they don't really have a choice. Yeah. yeah. Do and you think our our opinions or perceptions would change if we were employers? Possibly. <laughs> but I would like to be a nice like, employer if I had to employ people. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like maybe you have 
you have customers or clients that mm. you do need to deliver things to, then then yeah. I don't think management is easy though. Yeah. yeah. I've been reading a lot about Elon Musk lately. Okay. I feel like Elon Musk gets a like a kind of a he gets an unfair rep. Because I think Elon Musk is like a different CEO. I don't think you can put him in the same basket as like Bezos or or Warren Buffett or you know, because okay. one is Elon Musk when he came when he came to like SpaceX or Tesla, all that, he actually took like a real risk. Like he sunk all his money in it. Uh, you know, like Tesla, have you ever read about how he started up SpaceX and Tesla and there's another one, what, Solar City? Oh, I don't recall. It's pretty crazy. He First, he started up a company with his brother uh, just like during college or something like that. What do we call Two Whip or something like that. It was basically like the Yellow Pages online. Then he got bought out a few million then with that few million, he uh, created PayPal, right? And then he got right, uh, right. he got bought out from by uh, I think I can't remember who, maybe eBay or what bought out PayPal for like some crazy crazy amount of he, millions like he was already a millionaire from that two zip thing, but then he even more uh-huh. and then he took all his PayPal money and he divided it into three, one to Tesla, he opened up Tesla, opened up SpaceX, and he opened up Solar City. And he just uh, dumped a large portions of his money to these three uh, businesses, lah. Okay. But it was a risk, and so like uh, Tesla and SpaceX were doing really badly. Like SpaceX, I think the first two rockets crashed. You know, uh, Tesla was going to go uh, bankrupt, and because they had the financial crisis, uh, what right. was it? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Yes. Yeah. That's what, that was when Tes- Tesla was like just starting up. So like I think uh, uh, GM went bankrupt. Uh, Ford was going through stuff. So Tesla was going to sink. So Elon Musk literally put in all his money. Like if the if Tesla had sunk, yeah. uh, SpaceX, SpaceX had sunk, he would have been lost everything. He would have had zero, right? So he legit really put in his money. Lah. Of course, he got a loan from, later he would get a loan from the United States and things like that. Okay. But he, he risked everything. Lah. And I think... And he worked really, really hard, you know. So because yeah. everything was on the line, yeah. I think he says like how he used to laugh at people who had like uh, mental breakdowns. And he <laughs> said during that period he yeah. had he he really encountered like anxiety for the first time, you know. And if you think about Elon Musk, he's a bit like a robot, you know. For him to have that kind of anxiety, he would he was under a lot of stress, lah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so he was yeah. working like crazy. He was working like he would sleep over at the factory and, you know, like kind of like almost 24 hours yep. working kind of mentality. So, yeah, anyway, but I just think like comparing him to, so just painting him as a billionaire, you know, and likening him to like uh, Bezos and Warren Buffett and all these different people. Uh, yep. I think it's a bit unfair uh, because Musk is actually a very interesting character. But anyway, he has this sort of mentality where he pays his employees really well, but he has high expectations, you know, and he expects everyone to be willing to put in the effort and the work, just like he is putting in the effort and the work, right? And he's like producing like sort of, like Tesla is like revolutionary. SpaceX is revolutionary. And there's something you admire about that as well. Someone who's willing like to go to the grindstone and really like, put in the effort and build something and fight for it. There's something almost admirable about it. Uh, but then, 
when you're being forced to work until like <laughs> <laughs> night, it's not as romantic as that, right? Yeah, but I think that that applies or that sort of drive and and commitment um, is is similar for many entrepreneurs. Yeah, they sort of want to put in their effort to make it a success because it's their vision and their dream. So when you're employing people, they might not have the same goal because they don't own it unless you're giving them like a bunch of stock options and yeah. but then you're also losing control so it's it's uh yeah it it would make sense for somebody who had priorities like that to make a company succeed no matter what and yeah. their company succeed um but other people might think like oh they find more value being with family and spending time with children yeah. so they are willing to take a lower pay and work for somebody else for a certain number of hours a day just so that they can go home and spend time with their family. Yeah. I guess that's also interesting because a lot of companies, what they do is they advertise in their, their uh, job um, job descriptions yeah. or even in the employment contract, nine to five, nine to six. Yeah. But it's often not <laughs> that, right? And that's really a yeah. misrepresentation. I guess with Musk, if he was telling everybody, you're going to be working nine to nine, this is going to be an intense uh, work environment. You yeah. can at least from the onset choose it or not choose it, right? At least if you were clear and open about it. But if I guess it's different if you're like expecting a nine to five job and then your boss is expecting you to stay until like 10, 11 o'clock at night. That's, I guess, wrong, right? Yeah. It, it It's funny because, I mean, if you join corporate, there's a standard like form, right? That says, okay, nine to five, nine to six or something yeah. like that. You get one hour break. And then if you're in a role like PR or comms, you know, there's no such thing. And you already know there's no such thing. <laughs> like if if there's an event happening or like breaking news or, you know, like like something bad comes out about your company on the front page, you have to work until it's resolved. And yeah, yeah you can't take a break from that as a journalist also. I think. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. That's another so, thing. So I guess like when you talk about like the people who are looking for fulfillment. Who want That's to, a second category. Lah. Yeah. So, so the category of people who feel they have found fulfillment in their jobs, they would be willing to work long hours. Mm. But it's also up to management to recognize that and to say like, okay, you know what? You need a break. Yeah. Like, I was very lucky because um, my one of my former editors, mm. she would send us messages, like individual messages if she saw you in the office for very long and she thought you were in the office too long and you should go home. She'd be like, go home go home now <laughs> and, and, and then like we, we, when we get like assignment lists and things like that uh, if somebody has to come into office early she would add a little note so you can go home at this time you don't have to stay late okay <laughs> just because everybody else is staying late like, yeah it doesn't mean you have to do that too yeah because like a lot of people a lot of employers their mentality is I do, I'm not going to overwork you but I'm going to fill the water up to the brim you know, I'm going to take as much as I can, <laughs> squeeze you as much as I can without you being overworked. But yeah. just let's play this game of like yeah. getting it right at the brim, you know, not yeah. don't it overflow, but let's not give, let's not pour too little water in it. Right. But that's so crazy. But to some people, that's like, you need to challenge somebody so they can grow. You know? <laughs> so the glass will become bigger after that. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It just, I feel like, yeah, yeah, I guess some people think that way. Maybe for them, they think this is a way of like sifting through, sifting through the people who can stand it or people who can't stand it. Yeah. But I also think you you might be setting up, setting yourself up to lose someone good. Lah. 
they just needed a bit of personal attention. If you had just been a bit more aware, recognize that this person's limitations are a little bit different, you know, and not work them to the brim, but give them like 20% of wiggle room, it would be more sustainable, uh, you know? Yeah. Okay, but what about people who don't feel, don't feel fulfilled? Oh. So... So that's that's kind of what happened to me because I did not feel like I was cut out for PR and comms. And and that's mostly me not wanting to be writing things in other people's voices. Mm. Or it's not that I don't think the company is doing a good job at what it's supposed to do. But I feel like maybe it's not my calling or it doesn't fill me with 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 passion to just be reiterating the company's values again and again and then to be saying oh we are doing a great job and whereas like that is my only job and i'm not actually contributing to um what the company is is succeeding at like, i'm not i'm not like a business i'm not in the business you know i'm just doing comms and pr so so for me like as a journalist or in media, like telling stories that might actually change things felt to me like it it is a stronger calling or I would feel more fulfilled mm. if I was making a difference, which I realized from from my career coaching and things like that. So I'll, I'll just explain what that was like. It was, uh, I felt it benefited me because it wasn't just the coach telling me that I had to do um, certain things to have a successful career or telling me like, okay, based on your experience, I think you need to do this or you need to try this. It was a lot of asking me questions and some of them were hard questions uh, about what it was about my job that really drained me or energized me and then and then what I wanted to do outside my job as well. So do I want to go home early to family mm. or am I okay to have like flexible working hours as long as I feel fulfilled and I like my job? Yeah. And so like, Asking myself these questions sort of made me realize that, oh, you know, like what I really want to do is to make an impact mm. um, and make an impact through writing because I like writing yeah. a lot. Yeah. Interesting. And I enjoy it. So, you, you, I mean, you mentioned a few times about this uh, career coach. How did you connect with this career coach? Oh, so I found this career coach on Instagram and it's funny because... <laughs> The Ruma Roy Instagram account was following <laughs> this career coach. So I'll just give her a shout out love, because I felt like she really did help. Her. Come her on the is, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we already follow you on socials. You might as well come on the podcast. Uh, so her name is Ellen, Ellen Chua. Right. Uh, and, and she posts a lot of like um, these these little like, you know, Instagram reels and, and not so much memes, but basically like quotes or sayings mm. about... Um, whether or not you feel fulfilled in your career or whether or not you feel like you would rather watch Netflix than do your job. That's one of the ones I remember because I realized like when I was working for home, sometimes like there were parts of the job that got dull or required me to wait. So I would just like turn on Netflix instead of doing other things related to my job because I felt like I wasn't um, motivated to try and innovate or try to be better or learn or there just wasn't time for it. Uh, And and, and that kind of... struck me so that's why I reached out to her yeah Yeah. on Instagram yeah I think you should have her on the podcast (laughs) interesting (laughs) I actually think a lot of people do that now they they like kind of like do their work while they it's kind of like a self uh, medicating uh, mechanism so like I know a lot of people who actually like while they're working they're listening to podcasts or while they're working they're even watching YouTube videos yeah for me I feel like certain tasks I 
like or enjoy having background noise. And mm. and like I feel like compared to most of my colleagues, I'm a bit weird because I prefer to be in the office mm. because there even if no one's really talking, there's kind of like an atmosphere yeah. where you have like social pressure to <laughs> to be working, you know, instead yeah. of just like slacking off. Whereas like if I'm by myself, it's usually too quiet in my room yeah. and I can't focus. So I need like music or yeah. something to yeah but but to be giving your attention directly to something else instead of your job yeah i felt like i i wanted to grow in a job and i might not be able to get those opportunities in yeah. in what i was currently doing i think you you have to if you wake up in the morning and you dread going into the office i think that's a bad sign lah yeah and I think that's a bad sign. You have to like want to go into the office. You must have a level of it's 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 not supposed to be easy, right? It's meant to be difficult and challenging, but you have to like enjoy the challenge, the pursuit, right? Yeah. If not, I don't think it's sustainable unless you're getting paid like crazy amounts of money, lah. Then maybe it's it sets off the. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know. So, but I think yeah. it's good that you that you went through this career coach because it becomes intentional. I think, right, a lot of people, they just like go by way of feelings. So I don't feel good. So I'm just going to leave and then I'm just going to randomly apply for jobs. And sometimes it works out, but yeah. sometimes it doesn't work out. Yeah. You leave it to chance, basically. Yeah. So <laughs> that's where, like, I'm not sure if like I'm the best person to give or or like I, I would say like you probably shouldn't follow my example. Yeah. But in the past, I have decided to resign without getting another secure offer. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, <laughs> but but like too many people I know and in my previous companies, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't even have another job lined up. And then and then I remember when I I resigned from one of these full-time jobs, uh, it was my, my, my boss at that time was like, um, you know, there's been this example or she, she'd heard of this example where somebody had gotten an offer letter, black and white, they resigned. And then after that, they decided, the, the company that was supposed to hire her decided that they were not going to hire her because they didn't have headcount or there were some financial issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, she didn't get a job. Yeah. And she was like, aren't you worried about that? You might not get a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but I also think like, yeah, it might come to a point. I'm not sure about your reasons. Yeah. But it, for me, like it kind of came to a point where I decided like, okay, I want time off to be able to learn and make sure I am choosing the right job. Yeah. Like, for my next job? I think for me, um, I'm a, I have the type of personality where I care a lot about uh, the people that I'm working with, you know, in the sense that if I feel like my superiors are not happy with me, I'm not going to be happy as well. You know, if I feel like they think of me as a liability, I don't want to be there, you know? Yep. And especially if I don't enjoy the work um, and I'm not, uh, I'm not incentivized to uh, increase my the quality of my work or it, so it becomes a cycle you know so like I'm demotivated so my superiors are not happy with my, my work which makes me more de demotivated which yeah. makes my superiors even more unhappy about my work that, I mean this happened in the past like this has happened to me before so this is the one time I just resigned without you know because I just like couldn't like the the, the negativity was just way too intense and so I was feeling not only unhappiness on my part, but I was also feeling the unhappiness of my my supervisors, right? Because my uh, the quality of my work had dropped. And yeah. so, yeah, so that was the reason why I left 
without. And they had a, a company policy where they would just uh, waive your notice. So the moment you give your resignation, on the same day you walk out. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I did that. I resigned. I packed up all my stuff. <laughs> wow. I paid up my computer. I had okay. to send my resignation letter. Then I walked out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was my the only time I ever resigned. La. Okay. Yeah, without notice. I mean, with notice, but yeah. I mean, like without a backup job and yeah, yeah, without like that. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. And I realized that I needed to take a break, lah. You know, and yeah. I realized how privileged that sounds. That I'm even allowed and can do that. Yeah, I was uh, just gonna mention that 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 I do feel like we while we're talking about this, like there are a lot of people who cannot just afford to quit their jobs, and they have sort of a yeah liabilities, lah. Like, that, uh, yeah. but that's another thing I think like a career coach will take you through. Like, do you have any commitments? You know, if you don't have any commitments, maybe you have more mm. freedom to move around or even jump careers or jump. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did have. I, I think like around our age, especially a lot of friends who are starting families or mm. who have just bought a house and they need to pay off their house and then they can't leave yeah. because of that. So yeah, although I, I feel like I, I do wish that I could buy a house, <laughs> but yeah, given... Yeah, I that, do wish I had a family as well, <laughs> but I guess everything has its pros and cons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but the pros is like, you don't have these commitments that so you have a bit more freedom to kind of figure out your life lot. Do you ever feel like as you grow older, how weird it is the way we used to perceive age? Like I used to think like 28, 30 was like old, like old, old. But now that I'm like turning 30 next year, I feel like I'm still like a kid. Oh. Yeah. Do you ever feel that way? Sometimes. Like, okay, let, let's, take, let, let's take a friend that we, we all know. I mean, okay. you and I know. Like okay. when we were kids, right? Like our mutual friend Mark, who in our youth groups was like our leader. Okay. He seemed so old and mature. <laughs> Didn't he seem so mature and so old? Right? Well, but when you look... Back then, yeah. He was only like 22, 23 <laughs> years old. But he felt like he was like 30s. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I think probably he, he was one of the first... I mean, like at, at that time, because he was so much older, he bought a car, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we thought like, oh, okay, cool. That's something I'll do when I'm that age. <laughs> <laughs> like I had a friend when I was studying in Cardiff he stayed seven of us stayed in a house and he was we were all like 20, 21 and he was like 25, 26 but we all felt like he was so old oh. because he was like such a I mean because all of us are that baseline age right? okay. and he's like he was 25, 26 doing his second degree in law so for us he was much oh. more older right yeah. so but then we look back actually 25, 26 is young I mean, it's a perfect time to do a, like another degree or to, to study yeah. something else. Perfectly fine. But at the time for us, it was like, you know, just the way you perceive age mm. as you grow older. Yeah, I guess like when I was young and, and I, still, I still kind of feel this now because I guess when I was like maybe six, seven, I was looking at, you know, US TV shows where like yeah. kids were moving out at 18 and yeah. living in college and things like that. <laughs> and I assumed that I would I would move out too when I was 18. And, right. and then, yeah, who knew that things were really that expensive <laughs> and you had to make money first. <laughs> yeah, but I do think like, I also feel like sort of my goalposts have, mm. have changed because uh, I think when I was a lot younger, like around 12, I saw about this 16-year-old girl who was publishing her own books and I was like, oh, you know what? If she can do it at 16, maybe I should 
right. be trying to do that too. And then I read about this philosopher or scientist who wrote and published his own books at 26. Yeah. And then by the time I was 16, I had not published my own book. So I thought 26 was a nice like, benchmark. And then like, you know, like I, I, and I think this comes a lot from social media and from people talking about it and posting about it as well. A lot of people don't achieve things until they're like in their 30s or 40s or yeah. 60s or something like that. So yeah, I guess I kind of realized like yeah. age is just yeah. very... Yeah, I mean, the other day I was teaching Sunday school. It was the last class. Now I was telling the kids like, you know, you guys are so young. You're only 15. And... And I do this all the time. It's so annoying. But I said, like, you know, you guys are so young. You're only 15. It only takes you, like, about four years to learn a skill. Like, if you want to learn a guitar, you want to learn a guitar. It's just four years and you'll be decent at it. You want to learn a language. Four years and you'll be decent at it. You're 15 now. You Before you turn 20, if you just start today and just do a little bit every day, before you even turn 20, you will have a new skill. And that's going to, you know, really encourage you and motivate you. And if, like, in the future, you're looking for a partner, these are skills that really attract different people, right? It makes you more, uh, your market goes up a little bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't say that. Okay. I didn't say that to them, but you know, that's what I meant. But I realized that um, for myself, I don't really apply that because if I, I'm not 29, right? I could learn okay. a new skill in my early, mid thirties, you know? And yep. I, I could do that, but I feel like I'm too old. But it's not true though. You know, it's again yeah. that lie you keep on yep. telling yourself in a way. Yeah. You, because I think we have these benchmarks of like, we see people starting to play instruments or learn languages when they're like six or seven or eight. And we feel like we are too late. And so because we feel we, we are too late, we feel demotivated to even start. Like what's the point of even starting? I'm going yeah. to be far behind. And I think it's because of this idea that we need to be like perfect or we need to have this high bar of excellence. But even if you learn the instrument just for yourself, for fun, and you never yeah. played it for anyone. It's still kind of beautiful, you know? It's still quite, you know, it still can be fulfilling. Yeah, yeah that's something that I've also like, yeah. kind of like... I think out. for me, like what changed the perception of, of age and learning things is is working with people who are a lot older, right. but who like are like so relatable at the same time or are differently skilled. Yeah. And and then you realize like, oh, you know, just because you're like, let's say 50, doesn't mean you have to get married and settle down. Like there's still people who travel to like, I don't know, Mongolia or whatever and take the train and, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, do things like that. And yeah. and there's no like fixed, fixed like, yeah, yeah. timeline or pathway for, for different ages. Yeah. I mean, I guess having like benchmarks to achieve can be healthy and good. Maybe some people need it. But I think if those ben benchmarks become, instead of motivating or empowering you, they become demotivating, then it's like counterproductive. Lah. Like if like um, like a 12-year-old sees like a 20-year-old like performing at such a high level and that encourages them to want to reach that level and so yep. they start playing. Yep. That's great. Lah. But if you're like 30 and you see, oh, someone has started playing at 20 and then you feel discouraged, then then you need to, I think, recalibrate lah. I do this yeah. all the time. La. I do this all the time. <laughs> Even um, a few months ago, I was talking to two of my younger cousins. La. They're both in high school. So I was telling them, you know, you're in high school now and this is the best time in your life. La. You know, <laughs> Really, once you start working all, you have so many obligations, you should just like, I know it's annoying when your parents are like, you know, in your face and everything, but you have to yeah. realize that these are the days where you are the most free and like, you can just like, do anything that you want to do actually. You know, you want to pursue anything, pursue it, right? So then, 
like half an hour after that, I was talking to my aunt, who, you know, who's yeah much older to me. Yeah. And she was telling, we were just talking, talking about different things about family and all that. And she was like, you know, Roshan, for us, it's our tail end of our lives. You know, for you, right, y'all are just starting. You know, this is the time where you're building, meeting people and building families. And this is the best time in your life. <laughs> Enjoy it, you know. Enjoy it. Don't get too caught up with work and all that that you just see you're the best time of your life go by. Then I'm like, yeah. damn, man. <laughs> you were just telling the 15-year-olds that's the best time of their life. And I just, that that was such like a mind blower for me because I realized that, yeah, I'm 29 going on 30 and it really is the prime of my life. This is, it's like a, a, an important phase that, what's the point if I look at my younger cousins and think yeah. that that was the prime? No, <laughs> this right now, this present is the prime and I, need yeah. to be cognizant of that lah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, but I think it also depends on the person. So mm. like, if let's say, if you ask me, like some people say, you know, universities were the, like university was the best time of their life. Yeah. To me, like, I went to a city college that didn't really have a campus. <laughs> and, and you know, Shout like, out Help University. <laughs> <laughs> I think we mentioned this. Help. I'm still that waiting is, for you to sponsor this yeah. podcast, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but like I I felt like a lot more, I don't know, like excited about learning things when I first started working. And and you know, I, and I had some pocket money to spend on things that I actually wanted to do. Yeah. So like like, yeah, I enjoyed being 15 and a kid and, and you know, like, we, we didn't have to worry about paying for making yeah. money and things like that. Uh, but but then there's a different joy that comes with being a young adult who's working and earning and and has a job that you're learning from and things like that. But some people might not feel the same way. Cause that, they, that, but that's the, I think yeah. everybody at every phase has something that they can take away from that phase. But I think the point is not to be too hung up on the past and get stuck up with nostalgia. Yep. And also you shouldn't be thinking too far in the future and just waiting until that day comes. And yeah. you know, some people, they work like crazy waiting on that that day when so-called paradise comes uh, on earth, right? But what if you have a heart attack before that happens, you know, before you retire? Or what if you work so hard and you finally get to retire, but then you're spending all your savings on medical bills? Like what's the point? At the same it's time. True. So I think like, you know, just being grounded uh, in, uh, you know, it's so funny. Actually, uh, I don't want to say her name, but my friend, uh, we were drinking uh, one night and then she just says this like quote, like she's like, like just like one proverb. Lah. It was the, um, oh, damn it. What was it again? Uh? It's the, wait, wait, let me just, no, it goes like, uh, so we were all drinking and then she just suddenly says, you know, Mm. Uh, the past is history the future is a mystery <laughs> and the present is a the present is a, a the gift. present is a gift you know that, that's why yeah, we call it a yeah. present right yeah. and I'm like, I was like isn't that from Kung Fu Panda <laughs> and then we all were laughing because she ripped off the quote from Kung Fu Panda <laughs> Uh, but it's true though like yeah. you know it's really really true that like the the gift the present present is a, a gift la, basically yeah. and sometimes we get so caught up in those two those other two extremes la. yeah yeah i'm pretty sure kung fu panda ripped that quote off of probably else. probably or maybe not maybe master ugui made it up maybe. i don't know <laughs> yeah so it's interesting well 
So what do you, what's your plans for the future? What do you think? Uh, to take a short break. <laughs> See, I just caught yeah. myself in my own, uh, like straight away I went to the future. Like what oh. are you going to do now? What's the, what's the present Samantha going to do? Oh, I, I have to finish serving my notice period. <laughs> so it's just continuing to work and then handing over. Um, right. and, and I feel like there's a lot of sort of pressure, mm. um, especially from, from my current colleagues or, or friends who are like, oh, hey, do you want to work in this company? We know they're hiring. This yeah. might be something that you're looking for. Right. And then when I say, no, I'm not rushing into anything right now, it's like, <laughs> I don't want to seem rude, like I'm refusing their help because I think it, but like at the same time, it feels like everyone is sort of pressuring me into going into work again. And I'm not sure I want to do that straight away mm. yeah so I mean like in a sense like I mentioned like I'm very privileged because I have saved enough that I can afford to take a short like one month two month break yeah, um, yeah. you've also been struggling with your health right yes right. so I'm not sure how much of this uh, is because of my job mm. but the doctors have said that it is sort of my lifestyle mm. so because I'm, I'm in PR and comms and I think even as a journalist this I've known of this happening to to journalists and and of people who are not even in you know either field or are in completely re- unrelated fields, but they get like gastric stomach issues mm. because of the anxiety and the stress of the job, mm. and it's funny for me because when I tell people that, a lot of them are like, oh yeah, I got that too, like it's a completely <laughs> normal thing to get, and I'm like, but no, it's your health, you know. <laughs> Like, why do you still want to stay in a job that is giving you issues? And and it's, for me, um, I think I remember one of the panel clinic doctors that I went to saying, if you don't change, you might have to go and see a specialist. Right. And, and even before she said that, I was already thinking like, this isn't worth it. I probably need to go and see a specialist. Yeah. But then I think I spoke to my manager and she was like, uh, if you go to another job, that is equally high stress, mm. you would still have to deal with the same sort of like responses. Mm. So maybe, you know, I, I sort of took that as a, okay, maybe I should also work on how I'm responding to the stress at work. And it was fine for months, for, for many months. And then, and then I think because of like my eating habits, not being able to eat on time because I was rushing workout, I had started getting the stomach issues again. Yeah. And then I went back to the panel clinic and that's when the doctor told me, you need to go and see a specialist. And so I went to see a specialist and he, there was like a scope done and everything. And he said, uh, so it's very common for people to get acid reflux. Yeah. But for me, I also had bile, yeah. which means that like the muscle between my stomach and my small intestine isn't closing and opening properly. Yeah. So it's like... So, but that means your throat would have been burning, right? Uh, not so much my throat, uh-huh. but my stomach. Right. Um, because so, but it was it coughing, was, it was going up, but not up enough to, you were not like getting it out of your mouth lah. Yeah, no, I, I did feel like vomiting, but I right. didn't right, really right, vomit right. because it's just between my stomach and my small intestine. Sure. Uh, so there's another like muscle between the stomach and the esophagus. Right. So if that were to happen, then then I would have trouble swallowing, things yeah. like that. Um, whereas this is like, I can eat fine. It's just that if I eat at the wrong hours or I eat the wrong kinds of food, then it becomes a problem. Yeah, you. Yeah. I have... I know so many people that have this who have stomach I mean not to your level but I mean I know someone that you know as well yeah, who has who very ha- bad stomach issues yes. you know until basically throat has basically been kind of like damaged yeah and I think speaking to 
this friend of ours, he has seemed to identify stress as being a big factor. And yeah, so, but I even know another person. Um, um, she was a practicing lawyer. I mean, I'm quite, we were quite close. Very nice girl. Very, very nice girl. Brilliant, hardworking. But she worked too crazy lah. She, you know, like I work, I would consider quite intense. Not, I work like every day until like maybe eight or nine, you know. So it's not so bad, but it's not like nine to five lah. But she was working more than that. So for me, hers was intense lah. You know, and she would work weekends, Sundays and Sundays as well. So she really pushed herself and she would get this eczema. Yes, I have a colleague who has gotten something like that as well. Yeah, and her eczema just kept on getting worse and worse. Then she had to start taking steroids. It was so bad. When COVID came, she was on the priority list to get a vaccine. She had to go for an operation and her eczema was so bad. Her peeling is so bad that she doesn't have fingerprints anymore. Oh, She can't scan. It's just the skin is gone. Yeah, and this is because of her work stress? Well... eczema like you don't really know exactly what causes eczema but like when I spoke to her her family doesn't have history of eczema or anything like that so for me and I think she would agree as well definitely the work stress played a big big part in it okay you know like it's just her shedding was crazy she has Mm. she can't use normal soap she has to use special soap special shampoo and she was in a lot of pain you know I didn't know eczema could be that I, I mean I know eczema is bad but I didn't know eczema was that bad. Okay. You know, so I was like, damn. Yeah. And I the, just like, yeah. The person I know also did not have a, a history of eczema. Yeah. And it just suddenly appeared. And it's weird because it was like, you know, usually you get it on like two hands or or specific parts of your body. This person only got, got it on one hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like it, it seems that stress or work stress was a factor in it. And I feel like a lot of people kind of just like, soldier on in their jobs or whatever yeah. because they, they kind of want to you know say that okay I can manage this it's not that bad or they get used to it yeah. but it shouldn't be that way that's the thing like again it's this weird kind of tension between pushing yourself hard because yeah you become stronger with, with by, by pushing yourself harder you become yeah. stronger for sure so definitely there are people who take it a bit too easy and they need the nudge they need to be pushed but at the same time like there is a level where it becomes that where there are diminishing returns there is a level where like it's counterproductive now yep. like once your body starts to like damage itself you're going too far and you need to realign yourself yeah. you I don't know? know I feel like like so this like a disconnect because like if let's say you're asking like our ancestors who had to do more manual labor right. or who had to walk or or you know long hours to work and stuff they it might be natural for them to feel aches and and things in their <laughs> bodies but we are comfortably <laughs> sitting in office chairs and suddenly like we're breaking out and like eczema and having stomach issues when there really like isn't really a reason for us to be having so many issues except for i don't know like a kind of mental yeah. Stress. I even have friends who get like, uh, they lose their hair. I have friends like that too. Yeah. <laughs> like male pattern, I mean, male or female pattern baldness, that's different. Like you can, and you can tell the differences. Like if you are suddenly like losing patches of hair on your head, yep. like what do you call it? Alopecia or whatever. Yes. Uh, no. uh, it is alopecia. Yeah. yeah. So then there's a high 
high chance that it's stress lah. Because what happens is your your autoimmune system goes haywire, yeah. and your body starts attacking itself, right? Yeah. So then people like have to get like I I know people have gotten like steroid jabs and things like that. I'm like, yeah, um, I I have like one family member who did yeah. get that, and it's weird because like our family has no history of right. this happening. We do have like actually not even so much baldness. Mm. So so like having patches fall out is even stranger. Yeah. Uh, and then when he went to see a doctor, the doctor was like, yeah, it's stress. Like it's not really <laughs> anything else. <laughs> but it's it's also called alopecia. And some people have it as a like genetic or uh, caused by other things. Yeah. But stress is also a factor. Some of these things effective. might be underlying, but it gets like awakened yeah. by stress. <laughs> <laughs> so like a lot of our family members don't have it because they were never, maybe they didn't put themselves in a position where they were that stressed out. Yeah. But like, maybe they didn't have to because they're employers. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the nature of the work also was different. Yeah. Like you said, maybe last time the work was more manual, but like the work that a lot of us engage in now, it's much more technical and a bit more advanced. And I think because of, like technology, we're always connected. Yeah. So so I do have like bosses who have just messaged um, and then not expected a reply until the next day, the next mm. working day. But because you get the message, you're automatically pressured to <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had entire weekends ruined by a single text message. Like it'll be like a message where a client is inquiring something or boss is employing, inquiring about something. But you can't go because the files are in the office. So you can't right. check it. So even though you tell your boss, I'll check it on Monday, but it's still in your mind because, yeah. you, you know. You still have to make sure you go in the office on yeah. Monday and check like it. If your boss suddenly says, did you serve that document? Uh, do you have the acknowledgement letter? Then you're like, I'm quite sure I do. But I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> <laughs> I had that happen to me once and I oh. actually like, he texted me on Saturday and like, I Sunday I went into the office because I just couldn't take it. I was too worried that I had forgotten to send it out. Oh, you know, so it was like just yeah. my entire weekend was being ruined by it. Yeah, like even I was if I was having dinner, I was still like that yeah, thing is the yeah. back of my mind. You know. Yeah. So I like how we're just exchanging war stories. <laughs> Let me see if I have any others. I had a friend who was he's in a field where it's very well known to be intense, like You know. Um, actually, you know the person, but I'll tell you off 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 air. Okay. And, uh, this person was working just so hard and it was just so crazy that they called me one, one day la, and they said like, it's really, really bad and I'm thinking of resigning uh, and I just want to talk you talk with you about it, whether it's like, is this okay. a good thing to do to resign? And I was like, okay, but what, what brought this about? Then this person said they were driving uh, after working like a crazy, until a crazy yeah. hour and then this person was just like, considering crashing his car on a divider because then he could take, he or she could take EL. To you know? take EL? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That I told this person, I was like, I told this person, like, you definitely need to leave this yeah. job if you're considering That's... putting yourself at risk. Yeah. You know, because they, that this person was just saying that it just ran through their mind. They were like, just like, wouldn't it be so easy if I just want, just want, one jerk to the left, hit the divider, done. You know, clear. At least I can rest. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it gets pretty crazy. That's bad. Um, so, because I guess uh, I work in a field related to finance yeah. and, and and so I follow a lot of these like like meme accounts and things like that. Mm. Uh, and, and none of these, I, I, I don't personally know 
people in like the Malaysian like community who have experienced this. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was true. Mm. But I know in like on Wall Street, uh, and and in places in financial centers like London, you get investment bankers who are getting hospitalized. And then the manager still texts them and asks for something by the end of the day. <laughs> so yeah, and 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 people and and these people will take photos of themselves lying on the hospital bed in the hospital gown with drips and everything, <laughs> and having their laptops open and like Excel spreadsheet, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and it and it's a bit like like worrying because like it looks like glorification yeah, of yeah. of you know working that much. Of overworking, I think the like the less sort of like sinister ones are the ones where you're on vacation at the beach and and then you have a laptop out. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I have a theory that you can push yourself hard enough until a part of your mind breaks just a little bit. Like I know, like some people who are like really senior, they are lawyers, but something feels a bit off about them. And sometimes I feel like they like there's like a like. I don't know how to explain this, but it just, I feel like they work themselves so hard that something just kind of like, like the CPU fried just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is okay. a theory of mine. I do think you can overwork yourself to that point where you, you, there is a point, I think, where you can damage your mind a little bit. Like, because imagine you're, you're forcing yourself to think about a particular problem every day and yeah. you work like, you know, nine to like, 11, 12 every day yep. and you're just fixated on this thing, right? And you, the stress levels are so high, your hormones, your adrenaline, everything is rushing. I I think you can damage your psyche. La. It's like almost a type of trauma in a way that you can put yourself through. That sounds terrifying, but ah, yeah. it wouldn't, I, I may not have like uh, worked with many people who have mm. gone through that or I might have, but I never realized it. Yeah. But I guess I have seen it in in one or two people. Like not to the point where it's it's traumatic, but it is enough to sort of Yeah. Yeah, damage Af- you affect in, in a them, way. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's not I don't think it's that far fetched because you could do things I mean, there are ramifications. You there are things you do that can lead to ramif- ramifications in your life later on. Yeah. I mean I do feel like if if not like emotional or psychological trauma, like a lot of people get like physical trauma, like stomach aches and eczema <laughs> from overworking. Yeah. And like you say, like it's crazy that people don't take stock of it. I mean, if your body is telling you, you need to slow down, you need to freaking yeah. slow down. Yeah. Because it'll just only get worse. I mean, these are actually mild. We haven't even spoken about things like cancer, you know, because I have a, I suspect that that's, that also plays a part. You know, because like we don't really know exactly what is the what causes particular. I mean, certain types of cancers have you know, have yeah certain have certain things that cause certain. Like I mean, if you are smoking lung cancer, you are at more higher risk of getting lung cancer, for example. So certain cancers you can kind of tell what things w- would cause you to be at risk, right? But there are a lot of cancers that also you don't really know why they come about. Mm. It could be genetics, or it could be environmental factors, or it, I think it could be stress as well. You know. And I wonder, yeah, I wonder. Because with cancer, like there's an element of, certain element of it being random, right? Right. It's almost like an autoimmune, uh, you know, in a similar way how yes, autoimmune. Yes, yes, it is an autoimmune yeah. sort of response. Yeah, so I just wonder, like, maybe people need to be like more... Chilled out. Yeah, more intentional. There was this, I read recently in the news that was like this, I, I don't know whether it's like the 
Portugal Parliament or Yes, the, Portugal passed Port- the law where bosses cannot message employees after working hours. Yeah. I was thinking at first like that seems a bit that seems a bit crazy in the sense that it seems like a weird thing for parliament to pass a law on. But then I was thinking about it a bit further. I was thinking like technology has grown so much, it's developed so much that it might actually warrant uh uh warrant intervention lah. Yeah. I mean if you think about it, um let's say even our parents' age, before mm. smartphones came about and you just had a landline. If you're going out for dinner with your family or you're going on a family holiday, there is no way for your boss to contact you. Yeah. You are out of the office and you're out of your house. I can't even imagine it. <laughs> and and like I mean like even I don't know, like my grandparents maybe like, you know, there's no reason for for you to get summoned to work on a Sunday. Yeah. You would just be like, okay, nobody's in the office. We have to leave it until Monday. Yeah. yeah. And you couldn't even work in the office. You, I mean, you, sorry, you couldn't even work from home. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is going way back, you know, yeah. when there was no computers, right? Yeah. I'm like, damn. It's invaded every part of our lives. It's a truly a social dilemma. I don't know, man. Technology is like so amazing, yet it's caused a lot of problems as well. Yeah. Like if we think about mental health issues or so, how much of it is caused by social media? Do you know about the the what China has done with their social media? So they've imposed like new like I don't know whether you call it laws or restrictions or whatever, but like for teenagers, I think under fourteen. Yeah. So they've put in like uh limitations on their like e- the equivalent of like TikTok on and other social media sites in the their country. So like you have fixed hours now. So for like teenagers. If you, for, yeah, if you're under okay. 14, like I think after like 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, you can't access it. It's blocked. Yeah. And if you scroll like for like, I think five minutes or what, then it has like a two minute gap. Like it asks you whether oh. you want to continue scrolling. Okay. Because you know, it's super addictive. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. China has like kind of put in those kind of like okay. uh, uh, limitations for those under 14. Even gaming certain uh, online gaming uh, platforms, they've like, so not the ones that you can, you buy yourself, but like public, like like CC kind of games, right? Yep. They have hours now. Yeah. So you can't like be playing it until like 12 or one in yeah. the morning or two in the morning. No. Yeah. I think like, it. they've also in, uh, like sort of put in place this, this uh, law against private tuition companies where they've decided that, okay, kids are being forced by their parents to attend too much tuition classes where they don't really have a life outside studying. So they're just going to ban private tuition companies. And also because these private companies have like celebrity uh, tuition (laughs) teachers and and parents are paying them so much money to teach kids. Whereas like the kids aren't really benefiting, Mm. you know, they're just part of like maybe a huge class Mm. of, of like, of teachers. And I guess there are people who are like, oh, you know, like this you should just let the market do whatever it wants to do and, yeah. and make it a free market. But at the same time, China's sort of looking at like the new generation and being like, we don't want our kids to grow up. Yeah. Yeah, being like not really having a childhood or being too influenced by social media. China scares me, man. <laughs> China scares <laughs> me like crazy. I don't know. Do you hear about that tennis player? Who, yes. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Went missing. She went missing. And you know what annoys me? Like we have like, this is why I don't like to call myself, like we, before the pod, we were talking about woke and all that, right? There are some like super liberal people that I know that you also, that we both follow, that we both know. There are some liberal people, they will talk to like, 
they will talk so much about how America is like devil incarnate. But then when it comes to things like China, they keep quiet. And for me, like that's so telling. For me, it's like, it's more like when you talk about like BLM or when you talk about all these other issues for this group of people, like from this type of person in particular, it, uh-huh. I really think it's more like a fad than uh, than anything else. It's more like they're just getting on the, 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 the train. Because if you really cared, if you really cared about these issues, you would definitely be aware about things like the thing crazy things that are going on in China because think about it this tennis yeah. player you know complains about his high ranking official and then she literally goes missing what more about the the what the Igers in in China they're like the detention centers you know, right right in Xinjiang yeah they're like there's crazy things going on in China and I don't see like anybody like really post or talk about it you know it's like people just seem to be moved by like what is popular. Like there's like a pop- mm. popularity contest for like social issues. It feels so weird. La. Like China is, like if you really think, if there's, what happened if China really kidnapped this tennis player? It is crazy. It is really, really mad. But I mean, Oh, so so another like example was also when when Jack Ma, Jack Ma yeah. yeah, sort of disappeared for a few months yeah. uh, when they decided to cancel his company's IPO. No, I think and, he criticized. He, oh yes, he, yes, he, he was criticizing yeah. sort of like the the business and corporate kind of like structures in China. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure if like these same people are like they're definitely not China fanatics, but the thing is China has a very different political structure yeah. to the US and I don't know. I, I feel like like social media has like amplified certain issues in, sure. in positive ways. Yeah. But at the same time there's just so much going on that like you are that so much is being swept under the rug like the Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean there's a lot of talk about how like even Russia and China do interfere with American politics by playing with social media. Yeah. You know, so they encourage the, algor- yeah. the algorithm to um, give you content that's more divisive and things like that. Yeah. So I'm sure they do the inverse as well where China and Russia are probably prote- stopping negative messaging from going out. Lah. Yeah. I think one of the more sort of like um, maybe like saddening examples yeah. is what happened with Hong Kong. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I didn't realize that the whole umbrella movement was actually like what five years ago or something yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And and now I think the latest I've read on it is that a lot of Hong Kong residents have felt that they kind of just want to move beyond that. Yeah. But moving beyond that will also mean giving up a lot of sort of power and executive power to China. Yeah. Because there's no other way out of it. Like it's either you fight against it or you just accept that yeah. you are gonna be sort of ruled by the motherland or the mainland kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But but then it's not like a sort of popular topic to talk about in social media anymore. And and I guess like it it it's sort of like a personal I don't know, passion is the right word, mm. but interest uh into journalism and why like good journalism is so important. Yeah, hundred percent. But it is so easy for it to be skewed because like you know, people just aren't interested in reading facts and yeah. and or like being media literate. They're just more concerned about things that are flashy. Yeah, and and give views or have good like TikTok sounds. Maybe there's a way to present like these things in a more engaging way. I don't know, without like skewering it to 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 
cater to people's like political palettes and you know like mm. maybe I don't know I don't know I I'm trying I have found now like when it comes to American politics I follow like sites that for me are more neutral like if I see like um like I, I if I see that they criticize both the right and left I feel more comfortable listening to them yeah. because I feel that they are trying to give a more center uh, um presentation lah yeah but I feel like also media companies can change over mm. time depending on their journalists or depending on you know who who the editor is and it, i mean if you look at cnn you know they used to be considered like right wing now they're like left no la, they were never considered nope. right wing they were always con- oh. they, i think they were considered like center mm. they okay cnn used to be like really like top notch media when i was growing up at least because i think they had like really good coverage on like the iraq war and things like okay. that but now they're definitely left la. Mm. fox news I think became soup. They that what was that guy's name? The one who passed away. Um, I can't remember that dude. But there was that one guy who kind of like manufactured the entire Fox News word. Oh, Trump's uh, good friend lah. I can't remember, can't remember his, his name. name either. He has a but few, there was a movie about there's him. There's a movie. There's a series. He sexually harassed those women and all that. What? Yeah. Uh, he asked them to spin. What? Yeah, yeah, he would he would do that like he would like talk to them. He would ask them to turn around, and he was harassing a lot of this, this journalist, you know. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I think yeah, he was one person who really just uh, created Fox News to become this sort of right wing outlet, and then a lot of other news outlets followed. Like CNN followed, MSS, MSNBC mm. followed. There are very few outlets that are like kind of that held to that sort of I don't know journalistic integrity, lah. Yeah, I and and I think also like that's why like we can say like okay you should follow this news channel but also have a variety and then and then people have to sort of be discerning about what they're reading or what they're listening to and a lot of people like uh easily distracted maybe like i feel like even now like i consume a lot more like tiktok videos about food and cleaning and and like you know new restaurants to visit than i do about news although although i do realize like there are a lot of um people who are using TikTok to sort of fight disinformation sure. uh, and, and to to sort of like shed light on, on certain discoveries and things like that. Mm. But they're all very Western yeah. from what I see. Um, not a lot of it is is Asian. And if you look at like uh, the Malaysian media landscape, at least news companies are still very traditional. Yeah. They're not willing to... Or, or they, they are hesitant to sort of invest in a lot of new technologies. Yeah, we have a mutual friend, I don't know if you've seen, who started a sports podcast recently, hmm. Fabian. Um, so so it was started... He, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, did, he did a music... He started uh, his own music podcast with, uh, hmm. with a bunch of local musicians. Um, and then I think like his, his bosses sort of took note and yeah. they were like, hey, do you want to do a sports podcast? Yeah, and he was writing for which... Uh, NSD. NSD, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so now there's a sports podcast, but it's right. also like the first of its kind. Yeah, and and that's kind of I don't know surprising if you think about it because podcasting has been around for ages and and only yeah. now it, one news company is being like, hey, let's start a sports podcast. <laughs> I I I always had a lot of respect for BFM. Uh, for me, I always thought BFM was really good because, um, like one like just one example was like GST. Right. Like when everybody was, the the main rhetoric was that GST was a burden on the people. You know, politicians were pushing that. Yeah. BFM actually like spoke with a lot of nuance when it came to GST and how that there was, there was good and bad to it, you know. Um, and 
I felt that that was good because, and it was not only that lah, but even their breakfast grills, there were f- quite a few where they really were, you know, they were not afraid to really ask difficult questions lah. Of course, I guess they have to walk this like fine line uh, in the end of the day because it's Malaysia, but I've always had a lot of respect for BFM. That's why I always wondered why they didn't like create like, they have stuff on like podcasting platforms but it doesn't feel like they put much emphasis on it. Um, like even things, the way they push stuff, um, they can actually create a lot more content. I, I I feel like they're not doing enough. Does that make sense? In a way, yes. Like I get what you mean. Like they don't have much stuff on video, which to me is kind of crazy. Because I think like if they created like a YouTube account and they would just put up their stuff like it was a, a weekly podcast. Yeah. Um, it would have a lot more traction. Well, I, I mean, I guess every company, like coming back to companies, like they have constraints and things like that. Yeah. I do know people who used to be videographers with BFM. I don't know if they're still there or yeah. how many of them are still there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it could just be internal company resources and things like that, that just... But it wouldn't be that get... difficult to... Like because... You just install a few cameras. I mean, it's not that difficult. So I used to work for a media company, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I know how difficult it is yeah. to kind of get resources just to make like a few changes to the website so it's more user-friendly, to All make right. something clickable. Yeah. Um, I we, it, It's funny to me because because media companies are flat, you know, like they're not, they're not big corporate organizations where you have to grow through like multiple levels of approval. Yeah. But at the same time, they're seems to just be so much going on that it's a very low priority right. or they just don't feel like it's worth investing in this right now because it's an extra cost. Mm. It has to prove that it's going to make money and ultimately it's a business decision. Mm. Like, is it going to make money fast enough for us to actually be able to pay this guy for the next few years or whatever? Yeah. Or to grow it. Yeah. What what Malaysian outlets do you listen or, or read or watch? Uh, BFM is definitely one. And... Then, like, the mainstream English ones, The Edge, The Star. Do you have a uh, preference? NST. Not particularly, I think. Um, but it depends on on the the content. Right. Yeah. There's, like... Is there, like, a difference in the standard? Like, do among reporters, do reporters, like, or oh, star shit, or, like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is there, like, one outlet that's, like, you know, looked down on? Oh... Uh, I think among Malaysian journalists, and this this is something that I feel like a lot of journalists would say as well, mm. it's like a community mm. where, yes, you are rushing to get the story out for your outlet, mm. but the journalists themselves are, we're not fighting against each other. We're basically working to tell the same, like, you know, like coherent truth yeah. story. So so even though we do have different angles or editors ask for different things, at the end of the day, like, uh, different newsrooms and different editors do have different styles. Yeah. But you don't realize like it just so happens that this person works for that media company and I work for this media company, but it doesn't mean like one is better than the other. We get along, you know, and yeah. we're, we're ultimately trying to do the same thing. Right. Like some people, I feel like, like as a journalist, like I appreciate like having other journalists in the room because they are going to ask questions that I might not ask. And it doesn't matter which media company they come from. Mm. But sometimes what ultimately gets published is also depends on which media company you're coming from. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure what it is like now and how bad the censorship is but you know when I first started out and the whole 1MDB thing was yeah. still a thing you would have some 
uh, local media being very, very uh, pro-government. Or like the questions they ask would not be as sure. challenging or as controversial as some of the things that maybe like uh, other journalists were asking or foreign journalists especially. How did you feel when Utosan closed down? Uh, I actually felt a little sad because yeah. I feel like it was a big... Uh, so I, I don't read a lot of Malay yeah. news or yeah media or consume a lot of Malay media, but it is something that a lot of Malays have identified with as a source of news. And it's actually like come back on, you know, like Media yeah, Prima yeah. acquired it and everything. Yeah, um, yeah but I, I feel like there always would have to be sort of like that platform or different yeah. platform. I think for. like I was... I felt like if you close this outlet of expression, then you can't really engage with these communities, right? Like it would just manifest in like, you be probably there'll be an online outlet that would say the same thing and, you know, people uh, yeah. would engage in it. And, but the, the difference would be you wouldn't be able to access it because you're not in that loop. Uh, there were a lot of these online outlets. So if you do read like mm. uh, Malay News and, yeah. and, and I guess like readers who do read Malay News, they there are a lot of websites and I've heard from friends that, okay, some are obviously very, very radicalized, yeah. uh, right-wing, you know, like far right-wing. Um, yeah, but like, you know, like the the English-speaking crowd might not know that yeah, these exactly. exist. Yeah. Yeah. Because we consume our own loop. Lah. Whereas, if it was like a print, uh, if it was a print newspaper, I mean, at the very least, you go to the petrol station, you'll see a headline. La. <laughs> it has some exposure, I guess, yeah, to a certain but, extent. but like how many people actually go and look at the newsstand <laughs> That's you true know? as well. La. I mean, I kind of just look at it and then like maybe the front page is an ad. <laughs> I don't know what the, the headline is. That's true. La. I mean, yeah. actually, but that's another thing. Like now everything is online, right? So things are getting more and more like uh, catered. Um, you know, like when I was younger, I used to like to uh, read... Uh, the comics in yes, Sun newspaper, right? Me too. So it's always start to. But yeah. getting there, you would have to like kind of like go through the different uh, like pages, right? Separate out the sections. Yeah. yeah. And, and you'll be exposed to like different things that you never... It's the same thing like going to like a bookstore and just like looking through random books and picking up a random book, right? Yeah. But now because everything is online and you can kind of like specialize what you want, you yeah. don't really get exposed to... Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. This this actually reminds me of a TikTok video I just watched about this lady who works on TikTok misinformation mm. and how the algorithm works. And her question was, if I start liking or following homophobic content, yeah. will I be radicalized into becoming right wing? So she just decided to follow and 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 it was just homophobia. So everything else was normal. Yeah. You know, you just consume the same media. It was just that she, uh, she and another researcher decided they would like homophobic content. Mm. So, I think at first they got like maybe twenty message, uh, twenty videos that came up that were sort of homophobic. Like the first or second day that they had this uh, experiment, and then, uh, towards after like two weeks, suddenly all the content was like anti-black. Right. Um, you know, anti. Uh, it was all like pro uh anti-abortion yeah. things like that like like extreme right content uh so oh they didn't even start with homophobic content it was transphobic right so so they're just against these people are just against you know like people changing their genders they wouldn't necessarily be against homophobia but if you start consuming content like that it automatically assumes that you are leaning towards you yeah. know being very right wing and yeah. then it starts feeding you content like that and 
just by scrolling on, t- on TikTok, you know, no matter where you are on the app, you're going to get fed the same kind of content and conspiracy mm. theories, things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there isn't the diversity of going out. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it works on the extreme as well. Uh, like, yeah. you, maybe not to that level, but like, let's say your issue is BLM and you're only seeing like police brutality yeah. uh, cases. Yeah. So it's going to kind of... Uh, uh, Warp your yeah, you're, you views. you're gonna be on hinge because you you're just gonna be like being exposed to the same thing over and over again, and it's going to warp your like you said, like warp your the way you perceive the state of things. Uh. Yeah, and I think after I watched that video, and now when I think about it, I realize that like sometimes I'm watching videos where, um, on TikTok, what you can do is you can stitch videos. Yeah. So it can be a clip of someone saying that they are like uh they're against homosexuality and they think all gay okay. To give an example, they think all gays should be killed, yeah. right? And then what I feel and get as a person is like, why is this showing up on my feed? Because I definitely don't agree with this. But what happens is somebody stitched a video rebutting that right. that first video. So everything becomes sort of like aligned with my worldview, right. you know? And and I realized like, oh, I'm only hearing, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously hearing the other side of the argument, but it's the side that I like. Yeah. So I won't hear somebody in conversation with that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why I like, I personally think I'm doing quite a good job because my my algorithm, I think, is super confused <laughs> because I consume everything. I consume left, right, okay, center. Okay, I should start doing that. <laughs> I'm quite intentional in the, the way I consume stuff. So I'm quite I'm quite okay in that, that regard. Um, yeah, and I listen to like random, really, really random stuff. Um, yeah, but it's funny like, how, the, how things are changing. Yeah. Coming back to that China point, are you scared about China? It's, a, it's this funny thing because I feel like China represents such a big problem. It represents the, like when you give a lot of autonomy to the state, right? It can do a lot of good things like what it's doing with like stopping uh, teenagers from getting addicted to social media. That's good. But then you can also do these crazy things like Uyghurs and, you know, or Hong Kong or Taiwan or whatever, right? And like, I don't know. It just freaks me out. Mm. I think it's it's really difficult because because it's a political like narrative mm. that they're trying to craft. And like, if you look at the US, you know, it's not like they are uh, assuming like US is like the opposite of China. So democracy, freedom of speech. Yep. They're not doing that great of a job either. <laughs> like, you know, they have their own atrocities and things like that. Sure. But and I mean, at the very least, at least America has that freedom of speech thing, you know, I mean, mm. under attack or whatever. But, you know, whatever stand up about America, at least there are people who speak out and criticize the government. I never seen a government that gets, maybe Malaysia is the second, but I rarely see a, a government that is as criticized by its people as you see in like America. Right. Like, you don't really see that in China. You can't do it in China. You can't That's do it in true. Russia. You know? Unless you leave the country and yeah. and or you're looking at, at foreign media to, yeah. to of, sort of paint of, a different picture. Of course, there are atrocities committed by America mm. as I'm sure China does and yeah. you know, all these power, I mean, all these countries with competing for power, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I definitely have no illusions that that these are virtuous systems. But I think there is an interesting difference between like America and China. I don't think they're the same. Oh, they're not. Yeah. yeah. I really, there is a lesser evil. America is a lesser evil. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> well, 
against in some ways. Though. But that's, I just find that China thing so interesting because there are some things that like you wish you could do in society. You know, you wish you could have, have that kind of cohesion and unity and like development. But then there are some things that like are almost like Orwellian, you know? Like it's like really legit scary, scary. Like people getting kidnapped, murdered. Yeah. That kind of like scary, yeah. scary. But there, I feel like there is a big cost to controlling people the way that China controls people. So I mean like in, in a like Econs 101 class, you learn that China is like a command economy where all the power is centralized. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the government, right? But if you look at some of the decisions they've sort of made where, where I can't remember exactly what the hukou system is, but it has to do with sort of uh, your your residential status. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it sort of led to a lot of migration from rural areas to cities to look for better employment and opportunities and things like that. And, and in a way, it's kind of, maybe like distorted how much people value being in a city versus, you know, like being in your rural communities. And, and, and there are sort of a lot of changes to society that even the government cannot predict, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so even like a positive, positive seeming like rules, like your kids cannot be on, you know, social media for however many hours. Yeah. Like, Eventually, it will create sort of like a dissonance between Chinese kids and like the rest of the world. Maybe, sure. maybe it's a positive difference. Yeah. But or, or it was even like how, I mean, now people project that there's going to be a population crisis in the sense that yep. there are not enough people having kids now. Yep. Yeah. So, but when we were growing up, the rhetoric was that there were too many people, right? And that we needed to. Uh, yeah. clamp down and so China famously had that one child policy yep. and it created a lot of um, I think um, what's the right word there were a lot of people that were unhappy about it in China mm. especially like because yeah. when I was studying in the UK there were a lot China Chinese yeah, yeah. people there but uh, and now the funny thing is <laughs> nobody wants to have more <laughs> yeah. than one kid because it's just expensive <laughs> yeah but it's, it's yeah it's just this it's, it's how on paper, it looks like a good idea, but then when you actually implement it, it might not be the greatest idea. And the scary thing is, because technology is developing in such like in such a rapid manner, like we can't like overthrow governments like how people used to overthrow governments. You know, like last time, if you had like like you're talking about the Russian Revolution, uh, yeah, there were soldiers with guns, yeah, but they were not like automatic. They were not like assault rifles. They were. They still needed to. It would take time for you to for them to reload the gun. <laughs> you still had a a chance to like get the gun off them. You know. You yeah. If enough people like went against them, you could still overthrow them. But now, you know, with with the the types of weapons that the state has, yeah. Don't even talk about nuclear lah. But even on the ground weapon weaponry like drones. Yeah. How is how are you going to overthrow overthrow a, a tyrannical state in this age? I, it's like almost impossible. Yeah. It's scary to think of. Anyway, I think this is a good place to leave the to stop the podcast. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's end it with doom and gloom for everybody. <laughs> I don't know how we got to there from like just work environments <laughs> and finding your purpose. <laughs> maybe that's what everyone. Maybe that would fix a lot of problems. Everyone has to just find their own purpose. 
Yeah. But also because of current like corporate and political structures, it's just challenging to to find something that like breaks, you know, like the mold and yeah. I was just gonna say like Facebook is like a country by itself and it has lots of power too, you know, <laughs> to talk about China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. What 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 did Mark Zuckerberg he renamed the company? Right? It's what Meta, Meta, Meta right? Yeah. Yeah, virtual reality. That's what we need. That's what we need more of. I don't need, no, we need more of. <laughs> That's what we need more of. Um, and anyway, so let's end with, I think last week we did Final Thoughts. So do you have anything to recommend? A book or a movie or series or music or anything? Mm. Not really, because I feel the things I've been reading and consuming are very... Uh, Just recommend. Uh, okay, uh, so I don't know how many of your listeners are on TikTok, <laughs> but but I feel like I've been following some pretty good TikTok uh, accounts recently. And there's this one, I didn't even know this was a job, uh. but apparently this lady says she works as a futurist and her job is to predict the future so that companies and individuals can prepare for it. <laughs> so I have to look up her name, right. but um, basically her videos have been about a lot of like technological uh, developments. She commented on, on Facebook's name change and things like that. Right. So I found it very interesting. Uh, nice. Yeah. Her name is Sinead Bowell. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Right. But it's basically S-I-N-E-A-D-B-O-V-E-L-L. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to recommend a podcast episode. I, I One of my top podcast that I like to consume is a comedy podcast called Tiger Belly. Uh, it's okay. kind of a, it's it's hosted by Bobby Lee who's an American comedian um, and his girlfriend Kalila Kun and they have a, like a team of people. Uh, but it's really, it's really stupid. It's really dumb but I, I like it. Like, it's really funny. Like, there's, I think it has a authenticity to it that I really enjoy. And Bobby Lee is an interesting character because I think he's so imperfect you know, so those imperfections are really funny. La. So anyway, there's one episode with uh, David Cho. I don't know you know who David Cho is. Sounds very familiar. He's an artist. La. Basically, he's the one who did the murals for Facebook, like when Facebook was still at its inception and he chose to be paid in like shares. So he ended up, I think he's valued at 200 million or something like that now for just painting murals on like the Facebook walls. So that episode with David Cho is like, I think it was really, I don't know. It, to me, that's the epitome of what a podcast episode should be. La. Like, it's like a roller coaster of emotions. Okay. It's like, you don't know where it's going. It's just like <laughs> complete chaos and insanity. And it's so funny and so real. And it's like, yeah, I just, I've I've listened to it. It, it, it. it came out a few months ago. I listened to it then. I thought it was great. But I just re-listened to it again over the week. Just uh-huh. thought like... It was really, really good. La. Okay. I've and saved the Tiger Belly <laughs> yeah. podcast on my phone. So <laughs> yeah. I'll check it out. Check out the David Cho one. It's really, okay. really funny. Stephen Yan also makes like a, an appearance. Okay. Uh, he's the Walking Dead, the guy from Walking Dead. Okay. You know Walking Dead, the zombie series? There's I know of one, the series. There's, but wo- I... there's one Chinese guy. <laughs> but he's actually Korean. Okay. So Stephen Yan. But anyway, okay. so that's my recommendation. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Okay. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, to all those who are listening, uh, we well, please do follow us on social media, um, Instagram, That's, Facebook, 
Yep. Instagram, Ruma Roy Podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we might just follow you back. You might be <laughs> a career coach and you might <laughs> end up coming on the podcast. Uh, we're not really posting on YouTube, but please do subscribe because eventually, hopefully, things will start being uploaded there. Uh, yeah, we need we need the support. I mean, I think we need to because we are just starting back after a long time, so we just need to get back into the rhythm of it, lah. Uh, yep. Thanks, everyone. Hope you are staying good, staying healthy, and staying safe. Peace.